Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Max Verstappen would fight and scrap and crawl his way to the front of the pack to win the Las Vegas Grand Prix. And afterwards, he was singing Elvis on the radio. That's a change of tune from earlier in the weekend when he wasn't so keen, now that he's won the thing. Followed home by Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari and Sergio Perez giving Red Bull their first 1-2 in a championship. That's hard to believe after all the success they've had, but doing his job to finish off the podium. After a first corner incident where Verstappen would gently shovel Leclerc off and incur a five-second time penalty. We'd see Leclerc retake the race for the lead. We saw Perez lead. We saw the early runners fall back, unfortunately, the likes of those that qualified high, the Williams. And I contend that perhaps it was a late race crash where George Russell turned in on Verstappen, which would ultimately cause Russell to lose almost certainly a podium, get a five-second time penalty, and the debris on track would bring out a safety car that Verstappen would pit under and his main competitor, Leclerc, didn't. And it was probably that which denied Leclerc a win, possibly, and maybe helped Verstappen to get the win today. But what do I know? Let's sit here from our panel of experts today. We have Philip Clearan in Las Vegas and Sam Hall back home looking after autosport.com and our tech expert, Jake Boxall, like JBL, who has been covering the Grand Prix for us this year as well, doing a fantastic job. Phil, I'll come to you first because you are there. How has the Vegas experience been? Very tiring, I have to say. <laughs> I really enjoyed being here, but to be honest, because of the pretty mad schedule, there hasn't really been much time for anything that isn't working and trying to get a few hours of sleep. I'll try and have a better look around tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow is Sunday for us here because it's not Sunday 4 a.m. as we are recording it, uh, Pacific time. Maybe I'll have a, a better feel for the city itself. It was definitely a challenging one for everybody in Japan. Also, Phil, let me ask you, last night on the podcast with Alex, we're talking about how security is so tight. They've even taken to do doing random room inspections, looking for guns. Uh, he woke up to find people in his room because he had his earplugs in because he was sleeping during the day when it's daylight outside and was like, what are you doing in my room? Has the same thing happened to you or colleagues that you know? 
Uh, yeah, I'm afraid it has several colleagues. We're all in the same hotel in the, the Horseshoe, which is actually quite convenient because it's on the same road as the media center. So it's like a 10-minute walk. It's a five-minute walk to the Strip. So it's actually really convenient. Yeah, we've uh, maybe because of its central location, it also had some severe security checks. And uh, yeah, let's just say if you're battling jet lag and you're finishing work at seven in the morning and then at 10 a.m. you're being lifted out of bed. It's not the most pleasant experience. So, uh, yeah, when you ask if I had a gun in my pocket, I was definitely not happy to see him. <laughs> the only time that's happened to me covering a motorsport event was uh, when we have a colleague who works at Motorsport Images, whose name is also Martin Lee. And I checked into the hotel and got my room key and had gone upstairs. And then he arrived after me and the receptionist had gone didn't you just check in? But anyway, here's your room key again. Luckily, I was just in my pants. Nothing else nefarious was happening. I was ironing my shirt at the time. And he walked in and was like, what are you doing in my room? I said, what are you doing in my room? Oh, we had such fun. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Grand Prix instead. JBL, has that, has that ever happened to you, JBL, on your travels in Formula One? Anyone just randomly walked into your room doing inspections for things? Back in the day, I used to go by the name Martin Lee. And, uh, <laughs> oh, no. There was three of us. Thankfully, no. I'm usually, I, could, I could usually hear that. I think nearly happened to me in Mexico when I was writing a race report. But I was fully clothed and just tapping away at a laptop. So uh, nothing nothing nefarious there. Um Thankfully, I didn't have to go through any of this this weekend. Um, you know, uh, as much as it must suck for for Alex and Phil and everybody uh, having to go through all of that, I'd rather them than me, to be quite honest with you. Well, <laughs> I no, might have we- to, maybe I've got that next year to cover. I joked about this with Matt Q because you know you you and Matt took this one off, and then I was Matt's heading out to Abu Dhabi. But you know, it's always a, a bit of a joke, a bit like with Miami as well. Go to the second year because the second year it's all sorted. Um, but that's kind of my point, really, JBL. As a first year, as a Grand Prix, as a track, as a surface, the technical stuff that I know you like to look at as well, what did you think about Las Vegas delivering in its, its opening year? I think once the weekend got underway and the, let's call them Friday teething issues, had been <laughs> had been ironed out and uh, had, had been resined into place, actually ended up being quite good. Um, qualifying was... was very, very exciting because the conditions were such where Ferrari had very good straight line speed. Red Bull didn't look particularly strong and they'd kind of split their aerodynamic strategies, uh, which came up to play in the race. And you had teams like the Williamses and the Alpines looking very, very strong. It was a very, very mixed up qualifying session. And that kind of carried forward, I think, to the first half of the race. You did see things sort of move into a usual pattern of the competitive cars moving their way up, but they didn't have it their own way. And you had that gaggle of uh, of Hamilton and Alonso and Sainz and, and, and sort of Russell, but you kind of broke away from that as well, kind of locked in behind for a time Gasly and then Ocon uh, and Stroll as well. And it couldn't really do a lot about it. So it wasn't just a slam dunk 1.4 kilometer DRS-a-thon. Um, there was some actual nuance to the race, which I think I quite enjoyed, to be honest with you. Yeah, I really did. I th- turn 17, which is the final turn coming on to the start-finish, about 45-degree angle, and the cars are doing about 300 kph. It might be one of my new favourite corners on the circuit. Nothing beats Maggots and Beckett's where I'll stand all day long, every day of the year. But um, that is a heck of a place to see Formula One cars and see aerodynamics at work. Uh, you never see an overtake there, but my goodness me, uh, what a corner. Absolutely. If anything goes wrong at that corner, it's going to be a shunt and a half. But 
uh, while it's all going fine. I was talking of which, by the way, if our listeners are just tuning in, Lando Norris, if you hadn't heard the latest after the Grand Prix, released from hospital, all fine. He did have a big incident a few corners before. Not one of those ones that destroys a car, but it did look like a bit of a, he was winded, certainly a bit of a big impact. We'll get onto that in a moment. And finally, Sam Hall, thank you for uh, waiting so long to uh, join the uh, join the podcast. And uh, thank you very much for your tip earlier in the week of keeping an eye on the two Haas cars that finished 13th and Hulkenberg DNF. So uh, well done. Well done, Sam. Thank you for joining us uh, with your Haas prediction <laughs> earlier in the week. Where did it all go wrong? Uh, well, it went wrong with the um, the engine in Hulkenberg's Haas, in his case. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it it was all set up really for them to do what not do what Ferrari have done, but sort of their equivalent to get points, as I'd suggested. And uh, for one reason or another, it just did not work. Um, and that seems to be the story of Haas's season, really. Post race, there seems to be a lot of teams saying. This race actually just sums up our season. I've heard it so many times in audio clips already. Let's get into the first first act, really, the first act of the race, um, which was not only the start, which, by the way, one of the classic cars, if you hadn't heard the news that parades the drivers round, managed to uh, empty the contents of itself onto the left-hand side of the grid and as, as, you know, cement dust all you like. Uh, that could well have been a factor in why we saw Skittles at the first corner and, and drivers of the calibre of Alonso just spinning on their own. Let's talk about that. Firstly, the start of the race, that opening segment as well, which of course saw Max Verstappen penalised five seconds for running Charles Leclerc off the road and taking the lead into turn one, Phil. I think probably the damning evidence, the still, the still image I saw, which was him on full opposite lock. So if you're running a driver off the road and you're on the inside, turning left and your steering wheels all the way to the right, which he needed to do to correct because he went in a bit hot anyway. Probably damning evidence and you're probably in for a penalty. Definitely a lot of people, including myself, were thinking that Max would just drive off into the sunset and, well, sunset, sunrise, and um, and just easily get a five-second gap before the pit stops. But the Ferrari pace that we saw in, in practice was kind of confirmed because certainly on the medium tyres, Leclerc was a match for... Verstappen as a stint went on, which is something that we haven't been able to say for Ferrari all season, which I think is also just down to cold conditions and the graining rather than um, overheating issues that Ferrari normally have. There's not much of that here. Uh, yeah, just about the incident, I think, yeah, it was damning. Evidence is clearly, clearly a yeah, slam dunk penalty, but it was also clearly not malicious or intentional. It was just... Like your know, turn one was really just like synchronized uh, skating. Is that a thing? Synchronized skating? I Let's just so, say yeah. synchronized timing. Yeah. Like he was like driving on ice. He had people going off everywhere. Alonso coming out of nowhere. Science in the background as well. It was like a start and slicks on a intermediate track. It was clearly a penalty, but again, he didn't intentionally drive Leclerc off the road. I think Leclerc said as much as well, and Verstappen also just acknowledged that he deserves a penalty. Is it a penalty fitting the crime? Well, we've, I think we spoke about this after Austin, when Russell intentionally drove off the road to get the track position and overtake uh, Piastri, I think it was. So no, but Verstappen, so struggling on the mediums uh, towards the end of the stint, it was passed by Leclerc before we came in, so it's clearly... It was clearly time for Verstappen to get rid of the mediums put on the Haas. And then it seems on the Haas, the fortress turned a bit. He seemed to be a bit stronger. 
the Red Bull. And then, yeah, it was, it was a good race. I mean, it's probably the closest race I've seen in how long? JBL, let me get your thoughts on uh, that start, the incident, and then how the first part of the, the Grand Prix played out. As Phil said, it was very much driving on ice at that point, And you had a lot of cars that just were completely lacking in grip and when you're lacking in grip it's really hard to get the purchase on the on the tarmac which looked from the tv cameras incredibly slick as well so it was kind of like um i don't know if any this might be a very very niche references but i don't know if anyone has ever been casting at team sport in reading there is a bottom floor there is three floors and on the bottom floor um it's all just like marble floor rather than any kind of like tarmac or anything like that. So you just slide about. So that's basically what it was like. People were sliding about, didn't have control. So Alonso just slides and loses it all himself. Uh, Science makes contact um, into the first corner. Perez goes into Bottas's rear. And I don't think you can apportion blame to anybody. It was just an incident that happens on a a slick track um, with cold tyres. Um, unfortunately, you're going to get that sort of impact. Uh, and just on the Norris one, again, we're only a couple of laps into the race at this point. Um, everybody's still heating up their tyres. The race isn't as cold as we expected it to be, but it's still a situation where um, we needed uh, a few laps for the tyres to kind of get up to temperature. So Norris is in the position where uh, he is still on cold tyres, comes across a bump, uh, going through that sort of like sneaking section uh, and just loses the rear. And there's not really a lot he can do about it. He's just a passenger at that point. Um, but it, I think it looked a little bit worse than maybe it was. Um, you know, you saw all of those sparks that were lit up by the kind of uh, night sky. When he got to the barrier, the sort of car had kind of scrubbed off a fair bit of speed anyway. But, you know, still had to go to the hospital just for checkups. Um, thankfully, everything is A-OK. I guess there wasn't much in the moment that you could do about it. But equally, I guess everybody else managed to avoid doing it. So I don't really know how to call that one. Whenever I see, as Andre Stella said, look, that bump in the track took him by surprise and if we're going to race there again they should smooth it out but i kind of think well every other driver did 50 laps without crashing on that bump so that leads me to err uh, towards driver error thinking that there's probably a bit more grip in the car than there really was sam am i being unkind to lando norris who i'm a huge fan of no you i don't think you are being unkind there um you're not not letting your fanboy um rule your head there um <laughs> but no um i i think as jbl said there it's cold tires um th- that's what's to blame there it's re- what as we said warmer than you expected but it still takes this time to get the heat and the rubber and you're not going to have the grip that you normally would also you've got to remember they're running in a pack of 20 cars at that point less downforce because it's all be- all in the dirty air. It's all being taken off the front wing. So you add sort of two and two and you're just going to have, it's going to be more difficult. You can't go as quick as you normally would. And I don't think the accident was actually as spectacular as we initially thought. It's just when it's at night, you see all the sparks that go flying everywhere and everything looks that much more exciting. It also didn't help that, the wall he hit had a camera mounted to it, so you got the camera wobble straight away. It always makes it look bigger. 
Absolutely. Time to run down the finishing order then, uh, which I'm sure many of our listeners know if they watched it, but Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. Sergio Perez, your podium today, the world's longest podium ceremony, um, and all a bit weird seeing them uh, squeezed together in the back of a car with a little camera inside. Uh, but okay, Vegas doing Vegas. And then... Ocon in the first of the Alpines. Lance Stroll in fifth. He made, had a great Grand Prix. Made some fantastic overtakes today. Carlos Sainz fighting back to sixth in his Ferrari. Seventh, Lewis Hamilton. Eighth, George Russell. Alonso in ninth. And Oscar Piastri in the sole finishing McLaren in tenth. And then, yes, Gasly finishing down in eleventh. Then the first of the Williams. Alex Albon will be disappointed at one stopping in twelfth. Then Magnussen, Ricardo, Joe, Sargent and Bottas. So, Phil, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, uh, the the speed this weekend. Because leading into the Grand Prix, everything I was reading was that Ferrari had the speed to tackle Red Bull. So now that everything's done and dusted and you've had a ch- chance to think about it, clearly Max was quicker today, had a five-second penalty, was carrying damage, and was still quicker. What is it about that Red Bull in race conditions, and even as the fuel burnt off, it's just so quick when, again, everything I'd read and up till now said, look, Ferrari can absolutely take it to Red Bull this weekend. And did they? And, supplementary question, was this a Charles Leclerc win that got away from him? I'm not sure I, I'm in a state to remember three questions. Um, okay, uh, number last, one, why, was why, were Red Bull quick, why was Red Bull quicker than Ferrari? Yeah, so why is Red Bull so quick? Is I think it's just because there's something there are able to do with their suspension and their, the way they control the ride height set. They could just get the maximum performance out of the car or close to the maximum performance on just various circuit types and, and, and corner types. And you've seen that time and time again, apart from Singapore, which was sort of an outlier. But yeah, this sort of circuit was a lot smoother than Singapore, I think. Not quite as smooth as Baku, maybe, but it was getting there. You know, that advantage that they've had doesn't go away it's just Ferrari got closer because there was no like massive tire overheating. We, we had a really cool race, not as cool as people maybe feared at first. It was still like 17 degrees track temperature, but yeah, that's, that just helps Ferrari a little bit more. Yeah. JBL, this is the question that I'm trying to get my head around today. Was that a Leclerc victory that got away from him today? I think there's a case where you could probably say that, Perhaps it was. There were certain aspects of the race where Charles was in a position to win it. I think when it came towards the end, when when the rebels kind of had the run on him, it was getting a little bit more precarious and a little bit more difficult. And that was partly because Leclerc was on older tyres. He had stopped five laps before the safety car eventually come out. So not a huge deal in the, the grand scheme of things, but it's still something. It's still certainly something that's going to affect the driver's confidence um you know what the what the driver feels that they have to to deal with such a situation but secondly um we know how strong that rubber was in a straight line and Verstappen particularly he trimmed out for for qualifying in the race Perez was carrying a little bit more wing so we, I think it was quoted about six or seven kilometers an hour on the straight slower eventually as we did we did see made a difference but I think the key part of that was balancing risk and reward and perhaps Leclerc didn't think or perhaps rather he was kind of sort of keep, trying to keep his powder dry a little bit because I remember watching that situation on TV when uh, when Perez was passing when Verstappen was passing he didn't look like he was fighting them particularly hard and this frustrated me at what seven o'clock in the morning I was like come on like give it something 
because it just seems like every time Norris is in a position where he's got a rebel behind him, he gives it up too easily. And then we're seeing Leclerc do the same thing. And it just seems to be that everyone has this tacit belief that that rebel's going to win everything. So they're not really going to push it and just try and, you know, you know, maximize our own race, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But actually, I think it worked for him in the long run because that was the thing that kind of gave him the impetus to pass Perez at the end. Um, the fact that he'd kept a little bit of life in his tyres would burning through the tyres just to kind of stay ahead and then eventually dropping out of contention and finishing P3. Would that have been a better fate? I don't know. Um, I don't know if particularly, I think, I think if thought things had kind of fallen in his favor a little bit more with safety cars and that sort of thing. Yeah. Maybe he could have, uh, he could have won, but I think the, with the cards that he was dealt, it would have been very difficult to do it. Do you think the uh, constructors championship ever plays on his mind in terms of how cautious he was in that turn one battle um, with Max? I mean, I don't know because you're in the moment, it's adrenaline, you're fighting. Do you think there was the thought that, oh, hang on a minute, you know, there's a lot of points because they scored Ferrari 26, Mercedes 10 points today. There's a four point difference now. Mercedes still in the lead, but that battle for second in the constructors is worth millions. Do you think at some point Leclerc was thinking, all right, let's just get, let's be sensible here and get to the end? I think in team debriefs and that sort of thing, yeah, it's certainly a consideration. I think they'll talk about it, go, yeah, well, you know, we've got to do our bit for the championship, that kind of thing. I think when the visor goes down, that's sort of very, very secondary. And, you know, you could hear how frustrated Leclerc was on the radio after the race. He really did want to win because his pole to victory conversion rate is statistically shocking. Yes. And, um, you know, he's only got five, he, he's had pole, what, I think 24, 25 times. I haven't got the number up in front of me, but he's only won five races and it feels like it should have been more. Uh, I think he, he did dearly want that win. Um, and I think one other person who did want the win is my opposite number, Alex Kalnorkas, who, um, has been every race he's been to this season. Uh, he's got a Max Verstappen win. Uh, I think that stat is still going. <laughs> That's so, quite stats. Yeah, I'm hoping we're both in Abu Dhabi next weekend. So I'm hoping for, for his sake that he gets somebody else to to write a magazine report about because I think he's probably uh, sick of writing the same old thing. We will, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the constructors battle in a moment. But uh, yeah, as I mentioned, four points now between Merck and Ferrari. And with McLaren scoring just two points from Piastri today, uh, the Aston Martins brought home 12. Would it be? Yeah. So again, that gap has been brought down to 11 points now, I think, between those two teams. So McLaren still with the upper hand. Uh, Sam, I know that you and I, Sam, have talked a lot about that McLaren-Aston battle and how big the, the gap could get by the end of the year. And then, of course, anything happens and Norris is a non-finisher and um, and, the, and the gap tightens tightens up. But let's, let's just finally just finish off with Red Bull and Ferrari uh, and that pace today, Sam. Any more thoughts from you on what we saw? I was slightly surprised that Max actually went for the move on Leclerc as early as he did. It, it seemed like a typical scenario to me where you've got a long straight, big, powerful DRS. You don't want to be leading going on to that last lap. You don't want to be in the situation that Checo ended up being being in. So I thought it might have actually been clever tactical play from Leclerc at that point to go, yeah, all right, you can have that. You can stay. I'll stay within a second, second and a half few, and then come the last lap. I'll have DRS and I'll have you. So I thought there might have been tactics at play there, but as it turned out, it was just that the tyres weren't that great on the Ferrari, the hard tyres. 
but in the end, that tactic did play out with Perez. So I wasn't entirely wrong with that prediction. Um, not like a Haas repeat there. But what more can you say about Max? It's, you genuinely run out of words to say this year. 18 wins. I mean, we've never seen this dominance before. It's incredible. Well, there's a lot to get into, including how the Williams that had so much promise didn't perform and how Alpine and Aston Martin did get good points today, but uh, maybe not the Alpine driver that people were expecting. But first of all, let me thank our sponsor of today's podcast, and that is NordVPN. You wouldn't expect to see your favorite motorsports drivers going racing without a helmet or a seatbelt on. So why not have the same safety standard when you go online? Because NordVPN's defense shields your private data when you're on public Wi-Fi, when you're traveling, and it puts laps on the competition, and it blocks malware and phishing attempts, plus when the lights go out around the world and you want to watch that exact bit of motorsport when you want to watch it, but for whatever reason you can't access it, NordVPN is like your virtual pit crew, switching your location to put you trackside anywhere in the world. The same with streaming movies and your favorite shows. No buffering. In fact, I've been using NordVPN all weekend. I've just left it connected and it's worked absolutely faultlessly. Now to grab our huge discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash autosportf1. That is nordvpn.com slash autosportf1. Our code gives you four additional months for free on the two-year plan uh, with no risk. Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link in the episode description. The show notes are below if you have a look at that or on your device. You can click on that and get all the details. Now, let's get back to talking about, uh, in the second half of the podcast today, some of the other runners and riders today. And I want to get into Alpine with you, Phil, because that's a great result for Esteban Ocon. We saw the Alpine drivers fighting before it was sort of called off a little. Didn't really work, did it? Hold position, now you're okay. Phil, great result for Alpine. That doesn't necessarily mean that they've suddenly found some form, though. They're still struggling from the same limitations. And you know, if you look at the Constructors' Championship, they are very much in no man's land. They're way too quick for the Williamses and the Afataris, but they're also leagues behind McLaren and Aston. So they've really had a, a poor season after finishing fourth. They were ahead of McLaren at the start of the season. McLaren had that amazing turnaround and they've sort of kind of stayed where they were. It's uh, Obviously, th- they've progressed, but it's a relative game and they they weren't coming out favorably. Yeah, they've, they had some stronger races though recently. Um, they definitely seem to have turned a corner in terms of executing races as well. They've been better recently. They've scored more points. So maybe you can give them a platform to, to come out stronger next year. Sam, you've got you've been looking after autosport.com this weekend for us with the team. You've got some breaking news about why Gasly, I thought it was all strategy uh, that he finished down in 11th out of the points um, and that he just, just timed the safety car wrong, but had some issues, Sam, you were saying. What can you tell us? Gasly told Sky Sports after, um, after the session, he said that there was a battery issue. Um, which they didn't delve into annoyingly how how much that had cost him or anything. Um, but then he also said the hard tyres, so they were a nightmare, which is similar to what we were saying for other drivers. Um, but he grained them after about five laps, and then it was just, well, I've, I've got to live with this. Um, and just as we saw, he went backwards through the order at a rate of knots. On the, on the fight with Ocon, he just knew he had to fight because he had absolutely no pace to defend with. So... He did everything he could, but it was it was one of those where it was he was a sitting duck. 
Um, and I did like Ocon's interview afterwards, actually, where he seemed to deny all knowledge that the instruction was not to overtake. I think he said the only word he heard was overtake, um, which is definitely a an interesting way of looking at the team radio there. I love that. What a great excuse. Do not overtake. What's that you say? Overtake? Okay, my friend. Um, I like that. Um, uh, JBL, a quick thought on Alpine brought home the same points as Aston Martin today, who also had a great race in terms of Lance Stroll, making the two-stop work. He had some decent overtakes to do today and kept his uh, kept his nose clean, pitted at the right times, took advantage early on, early doors, and uh, with that uh, with that stop to get rid of the softs. And um, and Lance Stroll did, did really well today. Of course, his teammate Fernando Alonso spinning. It seems, I've not looked at all of the angles of the replay, but it seems Alonso spun all on his own, if you agree with that or not, um, which again, put him on the, uh, you know, on the back foot from the beginning. But yeah, on the Alpines and on Aston Martin, JBL, any thoughts? Uh, well, I'll start with the, with, with Ocon. Um, yeah, it was a very, very uh, well executed race. Um, as, as we said, he did defy team orders a little bit and maybe had the selective racing drivers uh, hearing uh, hearing very much what he needed to in that moment. But I think it was the, the, the right thing to do. I think I, I don't think Alpina particularly got it right uh, in, in that regard. And um, Ocon basically made the decision for them and it was the right thing to do with with everything that Gasly had to go through. Um, I think, you know, keeping the life in his tyres, it, it seemed really, really important just to be super gentle with them. Um, for the first few laps. And I think it, it, we saw it with Verstappen and we saw it with, I guess, Gasly and we saw it with the Williamses as well. Uh, if you're just pushing too hard, then they're going to grain. Um, so that's basically the long and short of Alpine's race. But Stroll had a very good race as well. It was sort of quietly under the radar. He made up 10 places at the start, avoided all the chaos. Um, soft tyres, obviously the right thing to, to, to start with. Um, did make a very early stop to, to get rid of them, um, which kind of put him back in the pack a little bit. But he continued to make progress. Whenever stuck with the pack, when everyone else was pitting, he stayed out. Um, if it there hadn't been the second safety car, he would have been probably nowhere near as high up in the order as he eventually was. The fact that he was able to make that work and then came in to stop for for the second time under the safety car, that just gave him the track position. It was just basically sort of perfect positioning really got through Gasly got through Albon was closing in on Ocon at one point but just didn't have the pace to make it work unfortunately I think it possibly could have been a slightly better result but he'd fallen behind uh, Verstappen during the during the safety car pit stops um, I did have a look back at that just to kind of see what went on it was just a sort of slow uh, tire on uh, moment nothing really untowards there so yeah really really strong race from Stroll I think uh since he had that kind of criticism in sort of like the middle of the second half of the season, uh, he's actually picked up a little bit. So um, it's good to see, obviously, still lacking pace relative to, to Alonso. But, you know, today he had him well beaten. So fair play to him. I'm going to get into a couple more topics before we uh, we, we sign off. I mentioned Alonso, we've mentioned Piastri. Yeah, getting a coming home in 10th, but uh, just doing a short stint on the mediums at the end. So getting fastest lap, hence why he got the two points I mentioned a little while ago. Firstly, Phil, can we talk about the Mercedes drivers this weekend? Lewis Hamilton was so pumped coming this weekend, coming into the weekend. And Lewis was really looking forward to it. And when you hear Lewis Hamilton talking like that and... You get the sense, oh, he's he's really going to be on it, and it's one of those tracks that he's really gonna he's gonna enjoy. 
It's not a particularly sophisticated of tracks, which is where a driver like Lewis can make up time in those corners where they just find time that other drivers can't. We've got those two really big straights where you just flat out sort of twiddling your thumbs. And so when it actually came to qualifying and Hamilton getting knocked out in, in Q2, yeah, not by, not by too much. And then it comes to the Grand Prix had a reasonably good race, came home in seventh ahead of his teammate, George Russell in eighth, who of course had that contact with Max Verstappen. We'll get into that in a minute, but on the, on the Mercedes, what are your thoughts on, on Lewis Hamilton? Cause in qualifying, he genuinely looked like he, he couldn't get the speed out of the car that George Russell could get out of on this track. He just looked, I mean, slow is a, is the wrong way. He looked slower I'm not sure I would read too much into this particular race weekend because it's been such an outlier and the track was such a low grip track, um, a lot of track evolution, just really difficult out of the norm circumstances that, yeah, I wouldn't put too much stock in it. Um, if I think it's been sort of ebbing and flowing between Lewis and, and George over the past 18 months or so. And I think we're now in a spell where Lewis was actually performing a bit stronger. Uh, again, George was really struggling sort of around Austria, Canada sort of time. Then I seemed to gain more confidence shortly after summer break. And now he's back to lose, I think, that is the most comfortable in that car. So I'm not sure I would put too much stock in, in this one qualifying. I mean, if you look at the race itself, Lewis was really quick. He was one of the quickest cars out there. Actually, both Mercedes cars were very quick and they both probably could have challenge for the podium if they didn't get involved in all these uh, collisions. So it was actually quite a strong weekend for Mercedes, but then they couldn't capitalize on it, which is, uh, yeah, obviously costly because uh, Ferrari did with Leclerc. Yeah. And, and how did you read the incident between George Russell and Max Verstappen? Has George said anything that you know in terms of uh, why he turned in? Or is that just an example of what we talked about earlier, where Max scares off so many drivers and he just didn't scare off George Russell? And George, well, I'm, I'm, I'm turning in. If you're there as well, then you're there. And of course, they came together. Russell just put his hand up and said, like, it was my fault. I just didn't see him. It was quite a, an exotic uh, place to overtake. So there's some mitigating circumstances in that he probably wasn't expecting Max to lunge up the inside there. Uh, Max was sort of ahead of the, the George's rear, rear axle, so he was, you know, he was kind of his corner as the the stewards are interpreting it. So yeah, Russell should have seen it and not turned in. But um, we also spoke to uh, Toto Wolf and he said the same thing. I was like, it's on Russell. So it's a fair. It's a fair penalty. I think both had their moments of clumsiness. Um, certainly, as Phil was kind of already outlined, you had that clash between Hamilton and Piastri where both ended up with damage. Um, obviously, the, the the Russell clash as well. Um, it's it's difficult. I think I don't think either driver was firing on all cylinders today. I think um, their mindset seems to be very much the season's almost over. We don't have to race this car anymore after, you know, just one more race with it. And I feel like that has very much kind of set their frame of uh, yeah frame of mind when they're going into the races. I, they look just they yeah they look distracted, um, and they're making all of these mistakes. You know, Hamilton has made errors that a couple of seasons ago you would define as uncharacteristic. Um, Russell's made a few errors after sort of initially finding a sort of 
relatively decent rain uh, vein of form after the the summer break. Everything seems to suggest that they're just sort of waiting it down. And you've got all of these other drivers on track and they're still fighting for something. Um, and they're sort of racing sort of half-heartedly almost. Uh, that's what it feels like. And it's just been this sort of like build up of this mindset through the year that sometimes has has been fair, but I think other times as let's I'll be honest, I'm gonna sound like a massive Roy Keane here, but it's just annoyed me. Um <laughs> the whole mindset through the season has just been irritating. You had that sort of open letter at the start of the season going, Oh, we're not where we want to be and we want to be mm. back at the front. Well, so does every other team. That's like kind of why you're in Formula One. Um mm you're not racing there to be third or fourth. Uh, you're racing to win. And as a champion team, that's probably the least I would expect. It's a bad car. Go and fix it then, rather than wasting time on sort of like these vapid messages of, oh, you know, oh, we're working really hard. We're doing this. <laughs> okay. Don't have to front up to it so much. And you can hear the drivers doing that as well. They're just like, oh, mm. this car is, I can't work with it. Unfortunately, in that situation, you need to. You can't just go, oh, the car's bad. I can't drive it. You you have to, as a driver, work your way around it. Uh, it's not necessarily about driving your way around problems, but it's working with the limitations of what you have. Yeah. And sometimes there have been races where, where Lewis and George have been fantastic at that, but there have been other races where, I don't know, maybe they've had a bit of an iffy Friday, the heads have dropped and they just can't be bothered for the rest of the weekend. That's something that needs to be changed in the final race of the season that's not a mindset that you can carry into the new season because if the car ends up being good and you kind of have this i guess race rustiness from not having put not, i'm not gonna say having put mm. the effort in but not from having you know uh, driven at everything you can do then you're not going to start the season in the best way i'm sure there's a positive mindset going into next season that they're going to go in with a different car concept but it just seems like there's this sort of, I don't know, uh, self-flagellation almost sort of emerging from the team. And it just sort of, it's at a point now where it feels like negativity rather than just sort of going, yeah, we've messed up. This isn't going to be our year, but let's do everything that we can. That's It, it just seems a little bit more insidious than that yeah i know what you mean and uh, it's quite uh, un untoto wolf like to lose it so spectacularly in the press conference on thursday or friday whenever it was and um and uh, one of the print journalists uh, poked him and poked him and poked him till he lost it and was using profanity and and really defending the the, the vegas grand prix which was perhaps at the time misreading the room because you know fans had just been forcibly evicted after spending hundreds thousands in some case in hospitality um and that probably wasn't the time to uh to to say that free practice doesn't matter and that, that it wasn't on a european time zone nobody was watching anyway as as temperatures cool he might regret that i'm not sure no i don't think he will regret it because yeah. after the event he was saying well look we're not talking about it anymore i i said we wouldn't be talking about it anymore but um yeah, I, it's fair I, I think that's slightly naive on Toto's point because people will remember it. Um, people remember when it happened in Monaco, when it happened in Baku. I mean, this does happen at street tracks. Let's sort of not make this mm. a Vegas specific. It does happen. Um, but on Mercedes and their performance, everything that JBL said, you could have ripped out of a podcast from last year when they were saying exactly the same things. We don't, That's a good point. And, and Lewis was saying, I can't wait for this car to be in the basement. We'll never see it again. I think think they said that there would be a special corner in 
in the back of the room that this car would be left in um, or last year's car would be. So is this year's one that is actually a different concept because they changed things? Is this one going to be in the same room or same corner as that? Um, and how many times? I was times actually can you- going to ask to, to exactly that question, Sam. But yeah, I, uh, how many times can you change concept? Uh, you, you can't just keep changing concept. I mean, Ferrari have changed. I think they changed their side pods to the Red Bull side pods. And yes, we know it's not all just about side pods. Mercedes are very keen to tell us that quite often. How often can you change concept before you just go, actually, we need a, actually, I suppose a complete rethink is a change of concept, really. Um, I don't want to use the word arrogance, but I think you've got to have a bit of arrogance about you to be winners. And Mercedes, do they lack the humility needed to not be winners? Maybe that's, that, that's almost the, I'll, I'll, I'll do your job, Martin. I'm going to pose this question to the other two guys. <laughs> do, do, do Mercedes lack the humility to be not winners? I'm not going to say losers. I think you've got a case for that. Oh, it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because uh, as I kind of said before, you know, you're in F1 to win. Um, but equally, you've got to accept when you're not. Um, and you've got to act on it and you've got to make the changes necessary. Um, you know, you don't have a God-given right to win every single race. And I think, you know, winning, what was it, seven championships back to back, the fact that they didn't, they didn't get their own way. It is brought up this sort of weird undercurrent that was kind of nicely smoothed over by winning and getting all of these championship successes. Suddenly, um, there is kind of like this culture that's not really been tested before. Um, now suddenly being put under pressure and being put under strain. And I guess maybe people who had come into the team while it was winning hadn't really experienced that before. So I don't know. I, I guess maybe it was a little bit like when, when Red Bull kind of stopped winning everything in 2014 onwards, it's a little bit like that. And it did take them a few years in the wilderness to kind of get back on, on level terms. They're still second in the championship. It's not that bad. Just, you know, crack, you're well behind Red Bull, but just, you know, crack on. Just yeah. stop well- asking about... <laughs> That's if they do finish second in the championship. We'll see in in less than a week's time. Before we go, I want to finish off, please, talking about why Formula One didn't come together and let Carlos Sainz start where he should have done and instead uh, got a penalty. I love this sport and I hate this sport sometimes. And it just annoys me when Formula One, which is which is very self-contained, it can get all the right people in the in the same room at the same time or on a call. Am I overreacting, Phil? Is it just one of those things that, you know, not all the teams were ever going to agree to it? If they, if they did put it to a vote, there's always going to be Ferrari's main competitors that went, no, they used too many batteries. They got to start back in 12th where he started. Um, or should Formula One sometimes, like it did through COVID, say, absolutely, let let science start where he should be starting. This is a stupid penalty. It's a complete shambles and you can't find a single sane person that would understand why he's penalised. And I, I know Sam might disagree with this because it's in the rules, so therefore you have to follow the rules. Well, yes, sure. But then you need to rewrite the rules so that there is some sort of common sense clause. How about that? We have common sense clauses where the stewards can make decisions based on their brain and not just on reading the rule book disagree with the penalty i think everything this is something that uh people didn't see coming i agreed with everything that max verstappen said 
during the qual- post qualifying press conference. Let's be honest, it was this, this is a situation that was of the promoters making, and it was of those who that were preparing the circuit. Uh, I guess the FIA as well, because they conducted a track inspection. So this is an incident that's not of Ferrari's making at all. You could argue that if someone had crashed into him, that's still not their issue. But this is something that could have been wholly avoided. This is something that is it, it's on both FOM and the FIA. Um, should have done a better job in, you know, predicting what was you know uh, i guess uh, <laughs> testing the the integrity of, of drain covers and that kind of thing some kind of compensation package should be worked out i i do agree with that but i do equally think that when you're being put in a situation and your weekend is compromised because of it there are material losses in addition just as you can in park firm may change parts for another part so long as it's off the same specification uh, i guess you can sort of argue that maybe powertrain components will, will lose performance over time but again this is a, a situation that's out of their out of their making and so i don't believe that they should be punished in that situation jbl when you say ferrari should get a compensation package do you mean they should get 200 dollar vouchers for merchandise <laughs> <laughs> They can go get uh, some uh, Verstappen merch from the, the stall. Either that or you get 10 $20 Logan Sargent t-shirts. What do you want? Do you want quality <laughs> or quantity? Sam, I'll come to you. Your thoughts on science and why Formula One decided not to come together and do the right thing. I might weekend. be I might be that sane person that Phil is looking for. Or people are going oh, no. to completely disagree with me here. Initially, I agreed with everything Phil and JBL have said that it should have, it shouldn't have been a penalty. F one should use common sense. Um, I totally agree with F one should actually pay for the repairs um, because I, it's like we say, Ferrari have done nothing wrong. But the reason I'm, I would have been against reversing this penalty is that you set a precedence, and then anything that happens to a car because of something that the promoter or the circuit has not done properly. So say a car goes off because there's a curb that's slightly too high and they completely write the car off or something like that. Then the teams will all go, there's a precedence been set here. We don't think we should have a penalty. Um, we don't think, so we've written everything off. We've got a new engine, new gearbox. Um, oh, look, it's, pulling a track out of the hat. It's at Spa. So we've now got a new fresh engine to go in that car. Um, We're going to absolutely dominate on the straights. I don't think you can risk setting any precedence like that because the teams will milk it for everything. And then you come to say there's a crash on the track and there's debris that's been left, hasn't been properly cleared by the circuit. Then teams will push it to that and go, well, this wasn't our fault. We, did, we did damage through this. We shouldn't have a penalty. And you can see how this would, one thing after another, it would roll and you'd end up with a Michael Massey era style sort of grey area in the regulations where you can complain about everything. So while I do feel sorry for Ferrari and Sainz, it's, you, you've got to stick by the rules or you do create these grey areas that we then love it because it's controversial, but it, it, yeah, it doesn't help the teams or the drivers understand the rule book. He, he makes a compelling argument. Uh, see your um, lo- um, logic, mm. and I don't like it. <laughs> Massey, I kind of agree with you. Massey. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, you don't have to get the the team principals in a room every single time this happens, uh, and then they're never all going to agree anyway. But um, uh, and and I don't think it would have happened this weekend. I think if you'd have had to ask everyone. Can we make an exception to the rule? Although, of course, there were exceptions to the rule because there are rules in the sporting regulations about how many hours have to pass between the end of FP1, beginning of FP2, and uh, or, uh, two and three, rather. And, and that was changed for this uh, weekend. The stu- it's within the steward's power. So some stuff isn't and some stuff... It's, oh, it's, I find it very frustrating sometimes. But, hey, uh, we should stop. We should stop and we should move on to the final race of the Formula 1 season. And still so much to play for between the big battle for second and the constructors. It's worth millions. And where Ferrari Mercedes finish in Abu Dhabi is going to be so crucial. The same for McLaren and Aston Martin as well. There's so much more to talk about this year. Uh, and hopefully we get a brilliant weekend of racing. I cannot go uh, before I say... Congratulations to our Aston Martin Autosport BRDC award winner, Luke Browning, uh, dominated the Macau Grand Prix uh, in a race that was interrupted by a big old crash by Premier's uh, Paul Aaron, one of those ones where the rear end of the car and the gearbox all comes off and it was uh, flames and all sorts. He said he thought he was on fire, but he was out of the car very quickly. It was all fine. But uh, well done, uh, Luke Browning. Um, managed the uh, the red flag and the restart brilliantly in the Macau GP. And, and a fantastic result there. Cannot go before we say well done. Well, thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. Really appreciate it. One more race to go. Thanks for listening. See you on the next one. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.